We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Podcast today presented by my bookie. Here's what they're going to do for you if you use my bonus code, Kevin DC. They're just going to double your first deposit if this is your first deposit. So put in a thousand bucks, they're going to give you an extra thousand dollars to play with. They'll double your first deposit. Put in 500 bucks, and your balance will. Uh, reflect $1,000 to play with. We are now into the countdown to real football. We are less than two weeks away from college football. We've got an historic 18-week NFL schedule offering more action than ever before. If you need a sports book casino that's reliable, my bookie is the place to play. If you're going to bet this season, bet at my bookie. They've got $500,000, by the way, in contest prizes live on their site. Use my promo code KevinDC to get your first ever deposit matched dollar for dollar. That extra That's extra money credited to your account instantly just for using my promo code KevinDC. I talk about this all the time, but you may already have a spot to bet with. You should have more if you're taking this seriously. You've got to have a place to comparison shop on point spreads, on money lines, on pricing. And at MyBookie, they're going to be doubling your first deposit. So they're giving away free money as well. MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Use my bonus code, KevinDC. Just a reminder, subscribe to the podcast. really helps us. Also, if you can rate us five stars and review us with one sentence, um, that would help, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tommy's with me today and Wednesday this week. Um, I do have a quick update on Chris Cooley. Many of you have been asking, why hasn't Cooley been on the show? He's coaching high school football. Um, he's been a part of their summer program, and now they start two-a-days today. I, I talked to him yesterday for an hour about a lot of different things. He is going to be a part of the podcast, certainly when the regular season starts, and I'm sure he'll come on once or twice before um, the regular season. Um, but in terms of how often he'll be on, it probably won't be as often because he's got football practice every day that he's going to be coaching. Um, and so uh, we're, we're still figuring it out, but he will be a part of the podcast for those of you who were worried 
that he wouldn't be. Um, he has paid no attention to anything going on in the world of sports or with respect to the Washington football team. And to be honest with you, I don't think he has to until the regular season starts. Um, all of his attention right now is into his pal Wyoming high school football team. All right, there's that update. Tommy's with me. What did you do this weekend? You said you had an exciting weekend. Well, before I get to that, uh, I wanted to mention something in relation to your mybookie.com bet okay. betting uh, commercial. Uh, I had asked you a while ago, and like a lot of things, you were useless when I asked you, I need a book about sports betting because in the class that I teach, the business of sports, uh, business, the business of sports media, we're going to cover a lot of the impact of gambling this year. Yeah. I mean, because it's had a huge impact on sports media. But for a lot of these kids, they don't know anything about sports betting. You know, I mean, some of them are immigrant students. They just don't know, I mean, the terminology. I mean, it's just simple things, you know, what the juice is, what the big is, stuff like that. So I, I, I you know, despite your lack of help, I found a book. <laughs> okay. Was it a for dummies book? Well, pretty much so. It's the Everything Guide to Sports Betting. Okay. From pro football to college basketball, systems and strategies for mm. winning money. Mm. Systems and strategies. So the guy that's written the book that gives you systems and strategies for winning money, he's telling you all the ways that you can win money instead of just doing it on his own? Well, I haven't gotten to the winning money part. Okay, because I can't wait to hear the I, strategies. I'm in the beginning stages. And he's, you know, going through the uh, the language of sports betting mm-hmm. and the different types of sports bets and what they mean to you and uh, offering advice on, on that kind of thing. And it's been pretty helpful so far because I was just looking for something that, you know, just so the people can understand the language of, of this business. Sure. Well, you uh, could you could... You could, because I know that you have brought guests in and guest speakers in before to assist you in your class. You could just have me in one night. You've never asked me before um, for anything um, related to your class. Sort of surprising. Um, But you could just have me in one night, and I could give... um, you know, a quick, you know, for dummies explanation on gambling. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've never read a book on betting on sports. I'm sure there are plenty of them written by people who probably haven't won money betting on sports. Because if they were consistent winners betting on sports, they wouldn't be telling you how to do it. Billy Walters isn't writing a book on how to bet on sports more likely than not. That's my guess. Well, because but because he's in jail. Is I Billy think. Walters in jail right now? Is that true? Yeah, he's in jail. That's well, not why he's writing a book. Yeah, but it's not for gambling. It's no. insider trading, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, the – you know, Tommy – you know what would be a really smart book on gambling? It would be to tell you not to bet. And here are all of the stories why you shouldn't bet. Like, I bet with my group of friends, I could write a book that would be, you know, a series of short stories, you know, two to three pages on a just battering, painful, memorable betting loss. 
and they would all be entertaining. And, you know, we could do like 15 of them and that would be the book. And, and there would be, it would be written the four, I, I would also write the foreword and it would be why you, the name of the book is why you shouldn't bet on sports. Why you shouldn't well, bet, you know period. What? I mean, this, this, this deals with really small time gamblers and, you know, talks about limiting your plays. Yeah. Uh, and, uh. You know, the dangers of betting to win as opposed to bet to risk. Yeah, bet what you can lose and no more because you will more often than not lose it. So if you can afford to lose it and it's a value that equals entertainment, go for it. I, I Listen, when I say, you know, the of course, the incredible... Um, the incredible contradiction here um, in hypocrisy on my part is that I talk a lot about gambling and I do a lot of gambling spots. So, but I'm just telling you, as I've told you many times, it's a losing proposition for 99.9% of the people that want to do this if they're trying to do it to win money. Because you're not. All the odds, the pro- the probability of you winning is less than 50-50. The odds are stacked against you to win. But whether you, it's can, in- you can bet uh, on an entertainment level value. Yes, absolutely. But the problem that, with that, that Tommy, is not everybody broke. is that not everybody can keep it to an entertainment. They can start with, okay, I'm going to Vegas. Or I'm going to the Borgata in Atlantic City, and I've got $1,000, and that's all I'm bringing, and that's all I'm going to lose. And then on that first night, when you're down 1000 bucks, you're looking for an ATM machine. And, you know, so you have – most people don't have the discipline to turn it into, you know, just a value equation, like an entertainment value equation. 500 bucks. that's I – know, I know some people who can do it. But if you have that, um, if you have that part of your personality, that addictive part of your personality, that rush, you know, endorphins part of yeah. your personality, um, you know, it's it, it, it's it's a legitimate sickness. I mean, don't get yes, not not for everybody. I'm not suggesting for everybody, but for a lot of people. That's why you know this country kept it illegal for so long. Um, but there's just too much money involved in it uh, as well. I think you know. I think gambling on sports is fun. I think it makes it more entertaining. Um, but I have definitely been on the side of probably over the course of a, a long period of time, too much risk taken. Um, and you know, I've paid for it at various times. Now, you know, once I started to have kids. My whole mindset on gambling changed, and I've never really put myself into a position to be significantly impacted financially with with betting, but I do enjoy betting, and as you know, and I've said this to you for years, I really think bettors have a different perspective on sports, and I think personally, now I'm biased, but I think it's a sharper perspective than people who don't bet on sports. Okay. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, in a moment of desperation, have you ever bet any of your kids? (laughs) No, (laughs) bet any of my kids. Yeah. Uh, hold on. I'll tell you what, I don't have the cash, but I got a really, my middle son (laughs) is super bright and super creative. You can have him if I lose this. No. Um, but, uh, here's the book I wanted. 
And it's, it's probably being written right now. It hasn't been written yet. The, uh, the impact of sports betting on sports media. I mean, we're just seeing the, that unfold now. So that book hasn't been written yet. That's a book I would have really liked to have. But uh, this will just give them well, it's, a, it's a been basic incredibly helpful. It. And, yes. And also, uh, I certainly am extending this invite for you. It was always on my mind. I just haven't gotten around to it right, yet. To do a Zoom call lecture uh, sometime this fall for my business and sports media class. I would love to do it. And, and that you, would be great. And, you know, the, the gambling thing really for, for sports betting. Look, casino games take more time. Like te- to teach somebody how to play, you know, basic blackjack or basic crap strategy, that takes time. And, and by the way, it's such a visual thing. And you really need, especially for craps, you really need a craps table to really teach somebody to play. Now, it's not hard. I mean, have you ever been at a dice table? You see some of the people that are there. It's not hard, but it it you know, there's there's more to it. Sports betting really is pretty easy to explain. You know, if unless you're not a sports fan. You know, whenever I've had these conversations in the past on betting with somebody that doesn't understand it, let me give you a couple of the things that just popped into my mind in terms of for whatever reason what seems to be a struggle. Plus seven or minus seven or plus whatever, they don't get the pluses or the minuses. Like they don't understand that minus seven means you're laying seven points and plus seven means you're getting seven points. And I guess there's some logic in that, right? Like if you're giving points, it's like plus I'm giving them to you. Um, I'm taking the points would be uh, so they get confused with that. Definitely. Um, they also really get confused with actually on straight bets in in terms of the verbiage and in, in the and the the discussion and the words used. That's always the I think that's always the number one um, hard thing. Now, when you get into prop bets and you get into parlays and stuff, a lot of people just don't and aren't capable of computing even the basic of odds. You know, they don't know what three to one means or they don't know what five to two means. And so that's going to be a hard thing to get across anyway. But the basics on like a straight bet on a game or an over-under total or a money line bet, that's pretty easy to explain. It really is. There has to be – I just pull. I just searched it, and it looks like there is a sports betting for dummies book. Yeah, there is. I didn't want to get that. Just I didn't like the title. Well, this is the same but thing. That, but that's for now, this, here's, yeah. Here's a description. It says in one one segment, which sports use the money line? Money oh. lines are available across all sports, yeah, every sport. but they are most popular used when betting baseball, hockey, or soccer. This is because baseball, hockey, and soccer are low-scoring sports. Right. And the large majority of games are decided by one run or one goal. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, now, baseball has okay. a run line, and hockey has a goal line, and soccer does too. But, yeah, money lines in hockey, baseball, and soccer are most often used. And, and by the yeah. way, in individual sports, you know, tennis, you know, uh, golf, et cetera. Now, golf has right. strokes, so it's different. 
um, you know, and their their basic you know, golf gets pretty complex in terms of the betting because you you're presented with individual matches, you know, for a round. You know, like it's Justin Rose against Rory McIlroy today, and Rory McIlroy, it's it's a money line. Rory McIlroy is a minus one sixty favorite or whatever, and you just take one one or the two. Um, but yeah, football was just tailor made for point spreads. Because of the points, the total points. Basketball, the same thing. Yeah. Tailor-made for point spreads. Um, now, the other f- uh, favorite bets in hockey and baseball uh, in particular are over-unders. You know, you hockey, now they're usually pretty much the same. I think I was joking last year during the hockey playoffs or just a couple of months ago. It seems like every hockey total is five and a half. It's almost all five and a half. Oh, Tommy, there's the other thing. So... The plus and minus seems to trip people up, and the half point has always tripped people up. It trips even the smartest people. They, they're like, well, I don't, but they can't win by, they can't score six and a half points. And what am I, I can't. But it, it keeps you from, it keeps you from getting a push for that number, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, any, any line with a half in it means there's going to be a winner and a loser. You can't push on right. six and a half. But yeah. it's just what the line is, and sometimes it'll fall on six, sometimes it'll fall on seven, sometimes it'll fall on six and a half. But the, what I'm saying is people don't understand, and they they can't figure out, wait a minute, oh, they, you know, and eventually they're like, okay, so six and a half means if I have them – then you get into the plus minus, and then you just have to say if you have them getting points, if they, if they, if they win by, if they lose by six or less, I win. If they lose by seven or more, I lose. It's that's right. a hard one too for people to get. I don't know. I, you know what? You want to hear? Uh, uh, this is God's honest truth. I don't love gambling as much on sports as I used to. I've lost really? interest in it. I really have. And I don't know if it's doing the you thing where when everybody else starts to do it, now it's like, you know, I can't, I I will tell you this, some of the conversation about sports betting among people that have just been introduced to sports betting is really comical. And I think it's really funny. And I've, you know, we've gone off on this before to listen to smart people, but clearly naive people like Ted Leonsis talk about sports betting i mean he there's a naivete or you know just a disingenuous i think it's more of a naivete i do um to sports betting the the whole you know analytics crowd and all of the data that's out there that can be crunched and mined and you can come up with you know some sort of algorithm that gives you an advantage over a sports book is all bullshit and those are the people, and I've told you this before, that I the books that I know, the, all they want is their action. Because those are the people that are convinced they've figured something out and eventually it's going to work. But by the time it doesn't work officially in their mind, they're already down 10000 to the book. So it's those, those are the kinds of people that really... And you have a lot of people that have been introduced to it because it's legal now that are really into it and are talking about it as if they're experts. And I don't know, maybe that's part of it is the sort of when everybody else is on it, I'm ready to move off of it contrarian in me. 
Now, with football season, I will be, you know, I'll be yeah. diving in. I will tell you already, I have already had a couple of prop bets that I played for the season. I think I shared this with everybody last week. I have already played, and I know this is going to sound terrible to some of you, but sorry. Um, it's a happiness hedge. I've already played under eight and a half on Washington for the total wins. Um, and I, you know, and I've played the over um, numbers for the other three division teams. <laughs> uh, I think I've told everybody that. I'm not sure if I have or I haven't. I think I said it maybe on the radio show. I have. Well, I don't see how you could make that bet given the stuff you're reading on a training camp. Uh, I'm trying not to read it. I get sent a lot of the stuff. Um, yeah, I've taken under eight and a half on Washington in part because I got plus 105, which is a really good number. Hold on, I'm looking. Uh, I've got to pull it up on one of my sites. Yeah, I took under eight and a half plus 105. I took Dallas over nine and a half minus 120. Okay, you know, for those that want the explanation, that's the season total number on wins, you know, on wins. The number for Washington was eight and a half. If you bet the over, they've got to win nine or more games for you to win your bet. If you bet the under, they have to win eight or less for you to win your bet. Now, the plus 105 is basically if you, for the under bet, you get plus 105. So if you bet 100, you're going to win $105. Dallas, I took over nine and a half minus 120. So they've got to win 10 or more for me to win my bet. If I lose it, I lose 120 on a $100 bet. I took Philly over at plus 120, and I took the Giants over 7.5 at minus 120. Um, so, uh, and I, I've been looking at Denver in particular, and people are going to go, oh my God, Sheehan, you're not going to be on Denver again, are you? <laughs> yeah, I think I might be. I really think that they are. Uh, it has nothing to do with the preseason game the other day. The Vikings didn't play one starter in the game. I've been with Cooley on Drew Locke, and I think everybody's off of him because, I mean, you know, after all, I mean, it's been, what's it been, two years for him? Or was last year's rookie year? I can't even remember now. Two years, right? It's been I two years. I think it was last year. No, 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 no. It was the uh, Dwayne Haskins year. Yeah, uh, Last year was okay. his second year. Uh, I think Drew Locke is going to be a good quarterback in this league. I do, and Denver's got every other piece, you know, except for the quarterback. They're, they're similar to Washington. They've got a lot of the pieces, but they don't necessarily have the definitive answer quarterback. So I think I might take Denver over 8.5. I'm looking at them right now on one of my sites. They're minus 110. They're minus 110, 8.5 at my bookie right now. Um, so I will do some of those prop bets, and then I'll just gear up for the – you know, week one, I do not bet preseason. I barely pay attention to preseason. I did not watch a lot of preseason this weekend at all. Um, I did see some of just the, I think, the performative art uh, uh, tweets that are coming out about the preseason. But if they're serious, well, then people really have issues. Here's the one, Tommy, from Albert Breer. Long time, right? Long time NFL reporter. On the Justin Fields performance the other day against the Dolphins, he didn't start the game. Andy Dalton did. Justin Fields came in with second stringers against second stringers and then some third stringers against third stringers, and he was 14-20, and he looked good, and he had a nice run, and he had a nice wide-open touchdown throw to a guy that was wide open on one of those plays where 
you know, it's bootleg right and thrown back to the tight end who slips out in the in the flat by himself. It was almost like they game planned something for Fields to get some confidence. And Albert Breer, after this, tweeted out, I tried to tell you, a lot of people overthought this. <laughs> I was like, I can't tell if he's trolling everybody or if he's serious. Now, he's serious because he got so much pushback to it that he then came back and retweeted his original tweet, which is an absolute absurd tweet. I tried to tell you, basically, that Justin Fields was the man, and a lot of people were overthinking this, really, after a preseason game, dude? Are you serious? You, I think you have he's to... an Ohio State. I think he's an Ohio State guy. Okay. Um, he I com- think that's it. And, and look, he may be right. But it, he's not right because of what Justin Fields did in the preseason game on Saturday against the Dolphins. That's not why he's right. That's not you. You know when you say I tried to tell you, you know, after he has a good preseason game, he's he's trying to say to you, see, did you see him today? Uh, he came back and he said, not saying Justin Fields is going to be a superstar, might become one. A lot will factor into it, but his baseline is wildly athletic, strong-armed, intelligent, accurate, tough, competitive team player, and we'll see where it goes from there. Which is not a bad place to start. I agree with that. I like Justin Fields. Most of you know that. I like Justin Fields. I think the Washington football team liked Justin Fields. I know they did, and they contemplated moving up. Now, they, you know, the Bears went up, remember, into the Giants' position to take Fields. I doubt the Giants would have made a trade with Washington for that. That's right. my that's my guess. So I don't know that Justin Fields was ever legitimately in play unless they went up higher um, than that. Um, so, uh, I just, I don't know. You see a lot of that, you know, now I, I this... well, yeah, remember, Go remember ahead. Uh, just one that pops in my head. I think it was a preseason game against the Bengals and the Bengals had this backup quarterback named Finley. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah. And he outplayed Dwayne Haskins all over the field. Right. I mean, he just, took the Washington defense apart. And it, where is he now? Well, I mean, he was with Cincinnati last year. Somebody somebody signed him. Somebody did. I liked Ryan Finley coming out of NC State. Uh, but, you know, let me just also mention, because you just reminded me of a game. And somebody I know is going to be out there going, Oh, Sheehan, Kev. You got all hyped about Dwayne Haskins after the Cincinnati preseason game. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't get all hyped. What I said after that Cincinnati preseason game is I said it was nice to see a guy come out there and clearly not be intimidated by anything and look totally comfortable in his first you know, real action, which is what always struck me about Dwayne in that first year is when we saw him, with the exception of that giant game when he came in off the bench, you know, he just never looked like somebody who was really nervous. Even, the, you know, even in the preseason in Pittsburgh, they're talking about the same thing. He just looks like a bit of a gamer, like he's got some of that in him. I mean, look, like Justin Fields, let's be honest. These guys that played at Ohio State and Clemson and Bama, 
They played in front of bigger in bigger stadiums, in front of bigger crowds, with more pressure at the college level than than they are in some of these NFL teams that they're going to. You know, so Justin Fields, you know, being comfortable in his first preseason game can't be a shock. I mean, the last the last game he played was the national championship game against Bama. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's played in back to back Final Fours. He played in the shoe for the Buckeyes in front of 117,000 people every Saturday, not last year. You know, we I remember um, having that conversation about Haskins, and Doc, you know, literally called or starts texting me in the middle of it. He's like, why would Dwayne feel like FedEx Field with 30,000 people, half of them cheering for the opponent? Why would that intimidate him? I'm, I'm like, exactly. Like, he, he's played at the highest levels of, of college football, which, Tommy, in this country, some of these college football environments are much higher pressure than the pro environments yes, they they're are. going into. Absolutely. We're, what, what are we doing here? Oh, I, I did just... Well, we can... We can this all started with, with sports betting, and yeah. we concluded that you're going to come and uh, teach our class the finer issues of... Yes, I, I can do. I can do. I can do the. Well, I can get as you know deep as you want. But I, I when I, Tommy, as someone who's coached a lot, and I have actually also taught a little bit, not a lot, not like you. My whole thing is about just keeping it simple. Keep Absolutely. it simple, and let's let's tap. Don't assume they know anything. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say to you? Oh, just back to what I I think started this portion of the conversation with. I really do. I don't enjoy betting as much, and I'm wondering. I think it is part of the you know legalization of it. It's not that it's like you know less you know less of a rush because it's illegal. It never. By the way, it never once felt illegal when it was illegal. It never once felt illegal because everybody was doing it. Um, but I think part of it may have been last year was just a weird year, too, you know, with with just the way the games were played. And it ended up being a, a, a great football season, don't get me wrong. Um, and I did win, right? Uh, the, the smell test bounced back with a winning season last year. Uh, I think it did. See, I can't even remember what the smell test did last year. But I don't – I, you know what I do like? I do like – and I haven't been in a casino in a while. We went to MGM. There were several of us that went, I don't know, six months ago. Right after it reopened, I went out there with a bunch of uh, people. And I do l- still like being in a casino with friends, drinking beers, and playing, you know, cards or, you know, not poker. I like I, – I love sitting at a blackjack table or sitting at a craps table – on a fun night with a bunch of friends, that's a fun night. That's entertaining. And if you end up winning a lot, that's great. And, you know, with me, it can get a little bit crazy. Like, I am definitely an aggressive – I've always been very aggressive as a better, which is highly risky. Like, I understand that if you, you know, essentially, if you're down, you know, let's just keep the numbers to, to where people aren't going to get upset – Let's just say that you're, you've been sitting at a blackjack table and you're down a lot of money. And let's just say a lot of money is like three, 300 bucks, really 400 bucks. The only way to get it back isn't to start downsizing your bets. It's to either keep them the same or upsize your bets. 
and get aggressive. Like when you lose, you know, at one o'clock on a Sunday and you go one and three at one o'clock, and let's just say each of your bets was a hundred bucks. So you're down $230 because you're down 330 on the losses and a hundred on the wins. So you're down 230 bucks. You don't all of a sudden say at four o'clock, oh, I'm going to bet 25 bucks a game now. No, that's not what you do. Your chances didn't that's diminish. That's not what you do. Well, your chances didn't your chances didn't get any worse that you're gonna that you're gonna lose the next four games you wager on. They're still the same, so you wager the same. It's one of the pieces of advice I've always given: play straight bets only in the NFL in football. Straight bets only. If you want a full round, totals count. Okay, it's totals or or point spread bets. Don't fool around with teasers or parlays. They are profit margin for the casino. Um, and bet the same amount on every single game. Pick the amount that your unit size is going to be, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever that's it is. That's something the book says. The book says bet the same amount every game. Yeah, well, there you and go. make sure you pick the amount. You know, start out the season with a bankroll, they say. Yeah. And then figure out per unit what you can afford each week. Yeah, and because the, the, uh, the odds are – you're going to lose a little bit more than 50% of your bets, or you might win a little bit more than 50%. Now, just understand, with a VIG, with a fee, you have to win, you know, 51.8 or 52.3, depends on what you're paying in juice, percent versus, you know, the the, the book only has to win at like 48.2% you know, um, uh, to, uh, to break even. But you know you're just you're going to be just barely on one side or the other if you bet the same amount. When you when people get in trouble, it's when they start going. All right, you know I am uh, I'm you know up a bunch of money, so I'm going to really upsize my bet, or I'm down a bunch of money, I'm going to lower my my bet size or whatever, or I'm going to start you know rolling these into parlays and teasers and. Then all of a sudden you got a sheet that at the end of the day looks like one of my very good friends, one of my oldest, closest friends, Billy Mack. Billy, if you're listening, you know how much I love you. Billy's sheet at the end of a Saturday or a Sunday, late at night, wherever we were, I mean, <laughs> what he had written on that sheet, it was, it, was, it was truly like cave writing. Only he understood that what was on it. But it was, you know, it was typically on average, I would guess, about 50 different types of wagers during the course of the day. Lots of of straight bets and over-unders and parlays and teasers and this one and this one's still alive. And Oh, my God. Those were the days. They were fun, though. They were fun. But none of us really you ever – n- none, of, none of my friends ever shut down a book. I, I've told you this one thing with me. There was – a stretch of two or three years where I got limited on college basketball bets. That's my claim to fame as a gambler. There was like a two to three year period where with college hoops, I just couldn't lose. Like I was hitting on 65%, you know, 60, 65% of my wagers. Anybody that tells you that they're hitting on 70, 75, 80%, they're lying. I was hitting on a very healthy win percentage. I was really beating up um, uh, a book, and then I had to get a second and a third book. And two of the three limited um, started to limit my bet sizes on college basketball. And that that's probably the closest I've ever gotten 
to being referred to as a sharp. Although there are people that I have gone through that say, will 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 say it will take my stuff and say, yeah, he's on that. Just in case, you know, if they then bet themselves, but not not with the NFL. The NFL, nobody. The NFL, the lines are the sharpest and the tightest, and it's it's the hardest. Not with college football, unless you're talking about some of the lesser conferences to a certain degree. Sometimes there's you know a little bit of you know room there. But but usually they figure it out pretty quickly. And and I'm not the person on it before the sharp guy gets on it. But college hoops has always been my number one success in betting. I've always I love college basketball as you know, and I've always had a sense for the lines that looked a little bit off and the, and and the the contrarian smell test picks. The smell test has worked better in college basketball than it's ever worked in football. So for those of you that who are then going to say, well, why don't you do a smell test college basketball um, segment? Well, I can't give you what I'm best at. No, I'm kidding. It's because it's because nobody cares about that. Everybody cares during football season. They want to hear people right. make picks. No matter how they do it, they want to hear people make picks. But no one's ever accused me of being super sharp um, when it comes to football. I, I I don't know anybody that's super sharp in football. Football's the t- is hard. It's the most bet sport by miles. It's where they're they're they're, they're the sharpest on numbers. You know, one of the things I, I've I've done in recent years is I've tried to play opening lines, guessing on which way it's going to move, and then come back and try to middle it. Like sometimes, if I have a really strong feeling about what a I I've been pretty good at guessing point spreads and how they will move, and so I'll try to get a bet and try to get a line right when it comes out before it moves in a direction that I'm not going to want it to move in. So either I get a really good number for the game that I like, or if it moves enough, I can come back and what we call middle it. Um, yeah. But, you know, really, uh, the thing about bet- real bettors who really try to make this into a part-time gig, they're looking for the best possible number and the best possible price. So that's why I said when you know you may not have an account with my bookie, you may have an account with, you know, BetMGM or some of the other really good ones out there, but you should have multiple accounts. So you get the best possible number, the best point spread, the best money line, the best over under total. You want, you know, these half points, you would be shocked if you looked at the data at the end of the year, how many of these games they're within a half point of being right on. So if you've got a half point in your favor, that's going to benefit you. And on pricing, you know, a lot of these legal sports books, Tommy, are taking advantage of naive first-time bettors with very expensive VIGs, very expensive fees. I've seen them. I'm not going to talk much about them because uh, I, I don't want to. But you've got, you know, you shouldn't be paying minus anything more than minus 110 on a straight bet that's not on, you know, a strange number like or a, a, a common uh, important number like 3, 7, or 10. You, you should be paying no more than minus 110. And in many cases, if you shop, it's so competitive out there, you can find minus 105 and minus 107. And that adds up at the end of the year. If you pay $107 on a loss instead of 115 
You know, that's an $8 difference. That will add up at the end of the year. A, a lot of people will tell you, look, I'm probably going to be 50-ish sort of on my bets. So if I get the best possible pricing and the best possible numbers, maybe I can increase, you know, reduce my losses or increase my, you know, mild winnings. I haven't, yeah. ma- I haven't made it sound very sexy. You can always have big years. I've had some big college basketball seasons. One of those years, Tommy, with the smell test, there was like a three-year period where I was 60% plus, I think, almost every wow. year. And um, and uh, and one of those years, I took advantage of it and more. <laughs> but, you know, the next year or the the next season, you, you just, you know, sort of give it back. It's the way it usually works. Yeah, yeah that is. Okay. You want to talk some Washington football and other things? Sure. Because you didn't weigh in on the preseason game, that big, you know, important game last Thursday night. There's another one coming up uh, against Cincinnati on Friday night, and my personal opinion on that game is it is very important for one person in particular. I'll tell you who that is right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, Tommy, uh, my buddy and your buddy, Chris Russell, from practice today, just tweeted out, let me read it to you, Kyle Allen just hooked up with Ricky Seals-Jones for the practice touchdown over Jeremy Reeves, but would it have counted, question mark? 
RSJ, um, RSJ is, is the acronym for Ricky Seals-Jones. RSJ clearly extended arm into Reeves for separation, but would it have been called? Question mark. Well, I don't know if it would have or wouldn't have, but you got to you got to attach a video to this because we got to be able to see it. I can't wait to see this. Kyle Allen, baby, he's back. Um, I love you, Chris. Well, you know that, and all you guys. It's just I. Here's the other one. He just sent this one minute ago. My fault. This is even more recent. First team Washington football offense just finished finished strong. Ryan Fitzpatrick hooked up with Deami Brown on a deep post route with WJ3. Okay, that would be William Jackson the third in coverage. Then 14, that would be Ryan Fitzpatrick connected with Humphreys on a short third down, followed by a rub route touchdown with Hump and Logan Thomas, who caught easy score. Hump well, how can you not get excited about that, Kevin? Hump. Hump, Come is, on. hump is short for Humphreys. Okay. Um, I, before I, we, I look, get... There, there, look, there's reason. I don't want to ridicule this too much because I think they've got some reason to be enthusiastic. Oh, I, I, I think they're two separate issues. Okay. You can be... I, I'm... I'm somewhat, I know I bet the under on them, but I think that they could be a better football team and win, you know, one more game or win the same number of games. I just, you know, there's a lot about the the, the schedule and the quarterbacks and the offenses that they're facing that I would be a little bit concerned. And I think the quarterback's still, you know, a question mark, even though I think it's a, it's an upgrade. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the 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 legitimacy of the optimism. I'm talking about, you know, What's the, they're, they're, this is what, I, no, and I've said this before, I'm not being critical of them doing this because they're, they're required to do it. I just don't know if people that are reading these things are like really getting into it like it means much. I think they are. Okay. Yeah. So let me tell you what means something before we get to your thoughts on the preseason game and, and the Washington football team, and then I have a question to ask you. I do think that Friday night, is big for one player in particular. And that one player is Dustin Hopkins. I've questioned why there wasn't some competition brought in for uh, brought in uh, to camp um, going back to, you know, when they signed him to the extension and when Rivera said, no, he's going to be our only kicker in camp. Um, I think Dustin Hopkins, I know why they like him. I've, t- I've said that a million times, why they really like him. I mean, he looks great kicking, uh, you know, on a field with just Cameron Cheeseman and Tress Way. I know why they like him. Um, and with that said, he's been an inconsistent kicker for this team, and he's going on his seventh season. Now, after an 0-for-2 night, I still think the odds are stacked heavily on him being the kicker. They paid him $1.8 million in guaranteed money. It would be a $1.8 million dead cap hit if they were to replace him with somebody. Um, I think he's likely, very likely, 90% plus to be the kicker on opening day. But I think Friday night against Cincinnati, there's some pressure on him, man. And even if they haven't told him, he's got to feel it. Because another 0-for-2 night or a 1-for-2 night where the the one miss is from 30, 38 yards, 
is at that point, Rivera's got to bring somebody in before the third preseason well, game. Or he's got to sign but, somebody before the opener to push him in the weeks of practice leading into the opener. Okay, but Rivera has chalked it up I know. to the inexperience of the long snapper. Okay. The new long snapper they got. Yeah. So it seems like he'd be the one that'd be under pressure. No. Thus, no one, nobody watching. And if he, he also said the snaps were pretty good. The snaps really come back much faster than Nick Sunberg's, you know, with some real pace on him. But Tressway handled him. You know, the whole, the timing of it, the 1.3 seconds or whatever NFL teams look for, I think it's like one point something in terms of the, the to- totality of the operation in time, I think was right there. He can't miss Tommy. He can't go over for two on Friday night and expect to walk in on Sunday for the practice, which would be the next practice, maybe Saturday. Uh, Saturday, I don't know, and expect it to be the only kicker practicing. No way. Not an over for two night. He if he goes one for two and his one misses fifty six yards. Okay, fine. I think there's some pressure on him uh, Friday night. I, I think, think there has to be. I mean, when you miss kicks like that, of course there's pressure. Yeah. Even if it's just external pressure. Yep. All right. What did you think? I mean, you don't when when everyone is basking in the glow of this glorious Washington preseason, you don't want to be the one guy that they hate, the one guy that every fan on Twitter says, "Get rid of this guy." Everyone else is great, but this guy. You do not want to be the proverbial turd in the punch bowl. Because no. this punch bowl is popping, Tommy. It's got a yes, great fruity taste, and it's loaded with Tito's. So you're getting a good old buzz, and it tastes great going down, and it's smooth. You don't even think there's any alcohol in it. It tastes so great. You're right. This is the one thing right now. Although the yes. although the quarterbacks yesterday apparently were just disastrous in practice. But he's the one thing right now where everybody's going to say, if you don't fix this, he's going to cost us two games, and that's going to be the difference between 10-7 and seven and 8-9. and nine. I agree. All right, what did you think of the game? I thought everybody looked really good. No, seriously. Well, what do I, what do I think of the game? I know. What, what do you have any thoughts on you? You weren't on after the preseason game. You said you wanted to weigh in on the preseason game, so I'm giving you a chance. I just did. <laughs> you just did. I, I think I just did. <laughs> I thought everyone looked really good. Okay. All right. There you go. I like me some Jared Patterson, don't you? Um. Yeah. I, I am a hundred percent sure. Ninety-nine percent sure he's going to be on the final roster. These are the kinds of things that you know, like some. Well, it wasn't totally useless. There wasn't. It wasn't. T- no, you can always take some things out of it. It's called individual evaluation, and his my individual evaluation of him of that individual was they can't put him on waivers because somebody will snap him up, and then yeah. and then you know um, Rivera said a couple of things on Friday, Tommy. In his press conference, he said about Patterson, you know, he compared him to Darren Sproles, which is the same thing that Taylor Heineke did, and then said we're going to give him some reps probably on some punt returns. So, you know, I think he's on the team. I don't think they're going to expose him. Now, what does that mean for the running backs? It probably means they'll carry four running backs because I think they really like Peyton Barber as a short yardage back, and I don't think they would release J.D. McKissick. He was such a valuable player for them last year and a very productive player. 
for them last year. So he said that about Jarrett Patterson, and then he said about Samus Reyes, the tight end, he might be the phys- the most physical tight end we have. That's a from the head coach, and these are the things you want to listen for. More than watching the preseason games and individually evaluating yourselves, evaluating these individual performances yourself. You want to listen to what the coach says, and he's telling you that, you know, and he loves physical guys, that Reyes is the most physical of the tight ends. So that bodes well for him, too. Yes, it does. So, again, what, what, what was wrong with my assessment? Well, Every, Everybody looked good. Well, Dustin Hopkins didn't. Well, everybody but Dustin Hopkins. We already established that. Okay, fair enough. Everybody else looked good. Yeah. So and you know what? I'll bet you they look good against the Bengals Friday night too. So um, the they cut uh, Kelvin Harmon yesterday. Um, Kelvin Harmon was their sixth round pick out of NC State in 2019. He I actually predicted that year because I knew that they liked him. I knew that Kyle Smith liked him. I, I predicted that they would take him. Um, I didn't know where it would come. Um, you know, he got injured last year, and it is a reflection, there's no doubt, of the depth that they have at the position. But it's not a surprise yeah. that Kelvin Harmon got cut. But I got this um, I got this tweet. Now I'm looking for it, and I can't find it. So I'm going to have to paraphrase it. Um, I, it was from some dude named Anthony, I'm pretty sure. And he essentially said... Anthony. Yeah, Anthony. And Anthony just said, there they go again, picking their players over players that were here before. Like Kelvin Harmon was drafted by, you know, Kyle Smith and Bruce Allen and that, yeah. you know, group. And um, and Rivera's going to take his guy, you know, a- a- uh, Gandy Golden over. First of all, I don't think Gandy Golden's going to make the team either. So that's beside the point, I guess. But I-, I just, like, if people are thinking that way, if anybody, like, agrees with Anthony on they're taking their own players over players that they used to, to-, to have here, well, first of all, they're always going to have, you know, a more um, definitive feeling, um, a, a more favorable opinion of the players they picked. They, they identified him. They picked him. They'd like to see him turn out well. But if you're suggesting, Antony, that they're going to cut a player that was here who's better than a player that they picked, like Antonio Gandy-Golden, you're insane, like almost their entire roster of contributing players is made up of players that Kyle Smith and that staff selected. Terry McLaurin, like just listen to the starters. McLaurin, Schweitzer, Ruier, Sheriff, Payne, Allen, Sweat, Holcomb, Bostic, Collins, Fuller, the two, the kicker and the punter, Way and Hopkins, and then Ioannidis, Settle, Everett, Moreland, and more. Like what? Are you, what are you people talking about? Those that actually agree with Antony, and maybe nobody does, but I think I've heard this before. They're not going to cut a player that's better than a player on their roster because of how that player was acquired. It's just this... oh no, oh no. Chris Russell just tweeted: practice ends with a bad interception overthrow by Kyle Allen oh! in the right flat. Damn! Picked off by Danny Johnson. <laughs> He's made some plays last week. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, no, not a good sign for well, Kyle Allen, then. So the other... That's the, how it is in practice. Sometimes you're riding high, and then sometimes you're at the bottom of the heap. 
Um, apparently the quarterbacks um, had a rough day yesterday, but apparently a lot of people tweeting didn't understand that there weren't, you know, and there wasn't any possibility of run plays. So the defense was playing only pass. <laughs> That can sometimes account for a defensive advantage. Like, they're not running it here. It's going to be a throw. Um, Anyway, uh, I I wanted to just mention real quickly that, you know, you mentioned Kyle Allen. He's back, and Curtis Samuel is back. I think they have really big plans. Scott Turner's got really big plans for Curtis Samuel. Um, And, you know, in thinking about Jarrett Patterson here just for a moment and J.D. McKissick, like McKissick had 80 catches last year. That's not going to happen with Curtis Samuel because Curtis Samuel on the field with Humphreys and with McLaurin and potentially De'Ami Brown and Logan Thomas, they're probably, I'm guessing, aren't going to be nearly this. They'll have different formations. McKissick was a part of their four and five wide set all the time, empty backfield stuff. Um, The... uh, uh, Kyle Allen coming back is interesting to me because I think personally there is still plenty of time for a guy that they like to still win the backup position. Now, if he's not completely healthy, they've got him back at practice. So you have to assume that he's finally you know healthy um, after re-injuring that ankle. Which you know, if that's going to be an issue, he's not going to be the backup quarterback. He may not be on the roster. But I think there's still with you know. We still have a month before the, the regular season, a little bit less than a month before the regular season starts. I think there's still time for him because I, I remember having a conversation with somebody three months ago, and they said there's still nobody that knows this offense at any position offensively like Kyle Allen does. And he and Scott Turner are like, you know, they speak a language that nobody else speaks yeah. in the building. Yeah. So I do think that they really do like him and trust him. So I think there's still time for him to get it done to beat out Heineke for the number two position, um, but if not if not if he isn't you know completely healthy and he's not you know able to throw accurately because he's still got an ankle injury, I I would still I would still probably you know predict that Heineke will be the backup on opening day. But um, Allen being back is significant because if he didn't come back, he was definitely a, uh, a candidate for injured reserve. You know, early season pup or injured reserve. I would agree. I have a question for you, okay? And we'll finish yeah. up the show uh, with both of us answering this question. And then I want to tell you something about um, our favorite player. I think the one player we've always agreed on. And um, I want to uh, acknowledge the passing of two former Washington football team, um, you know, uh, a player and a coach um, on the staff. Uh, We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. 
trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. So here's my question for you. And I asked this question this morning on Twitter, and I asked this question and took calls on this topic on the radio show um, today. And the questions, uh, the question, excuse me, is as follows. What would be your biggest disappointment this year as it relates to the Washington football team? And let me just give you some context for it. It's like, first of all, it's like an expectation that you have as a fan, not you, Tommy, but those of you listening, uh, for something that you're really, you know, pretty positive about, you know, that you feel pretty good about. Like last year, mine was I really would be disappointed if the defense didn't step up and have a massive improved year and really push, you know, that 10 to 15 ranking, you know, area. Um, you know, DVOA in, in, in other words. But I really wanted to see a massive improvement. That was that was hardly a reach in terms of, of a disappointment. But with the new coaching staff, with the addition of Chase Young, it was like that seemed like a total given. And if it didn't happen, I was going to be disappointed. Well, it did. They were, they were significantly improved. I'll give you mine first, and then you can give me yours for this year. I would be disappointed if Chase Young doesn't have – a monster year. And I'll get specific in terms of sack totals. I want him to have 14-plus sacks this year. He had seven and a half last year, 14-plus along with the other kind of plays he makes, you know, a couple of forced fumbles, maybe a touchdown, maybe an interception, would put him in that conversation of defensive MVP. Miles Garrett and Khalil Mack, the uh, you know the comps I think more for Chase Young because they're four three defensive ends versus some of the three four outside linebackers like Von Miller and T.J. Watt and I've mentioned this before that guys like that that usually get off to a faster start in their career three four outside linebackers do in terms of sack totals whereas Garrett and Khalil Mack didn't in their first year but the second year it really started to to, to I mean they had they had it figured out Chase Young's healthy. He is um, he's the most talented player this roster has seen since Sean Taylor. Uh, there's, I mean, there's really no debating that. He's more talented than Trent Williams. Um, you know, as great as Trent Williams and as talented as Trent Williams was, he's the most talented player that this roster, this franchise has had since at least Sean Taylor. And I'd be really disappointed if he doesn't have a big – Big step-up year, 14-plus sacks, and like a legitimate, legitimately in the conversation for defensive MVP. I would be disappointed if that doesn't happen this year. What about you? Okay, uh, well, uh, in other words, he can't be Ryan, uh, Ryan Kerrigan. Oh, no, 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 no. Right? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I don't think there's any chance that he ends up being Ryan Kerrigan. I think he's going to be a much... But Ryan Kerrigan would get double-digit sacks. Yeah, I know, but Ryan Kerrigan was never even thought of as a defensive MVP. No. No, but you you were very specific in, in your number of sacks. I was, yes, because I think if he takes that big step from 7.5 to 14-plus in year two... 
I, I don't want to hear excuses about how he was doubled, about how he was constantly chipped, and how he was constantly game planned for. The truly special players, that stuff doesn't matter. Nothing stops them. And sacks are the easiest way to measure that thing. Look, he could have 11 sacks and six forced fumbles and three touchdowns, and he could be in the in the hunt for defensive MVP. But usually it comes from a sack number plus all the other stuff. And 14-plus would put him in the top five. You know, typically would put him in the top five of, of the sack total in the league. So do you think the presence of Montez Sweat will help uh, Chase Young or will be the other way around? Oh. And maybe Montez Sweat gets the sack number. I think, I think that could happen, too. I definitely think that could happen. But if Chase Young is what we think Chase Young is – the concentration on Young that allows Sweat to end up with a bunch of sacks too, because I expect a bunch from him as well. Um, it, you know that that doesn't mean that that Chase doesn't get his. Now, you know, for those of you saying, "Well, Sheehan, you keep talking about their schedule and the quarterbacks that they're going to face, and and how great these quarterbacks are, and how they're going to get rid of the ball," and yeah, okay, fine. They're going to play a lot of great quarterbacks and a lot of great offenses, which means if he gets 14 plus as a as a as a monster pass rusher, that's going to be, that, that's going to put him even more in the conversation. I want him at the end of this season to be able to look at him and legitimately say he's a superstar through two years. I want to be able to say about him what I what I said about Miles Garrett, what I said about Joey Bosa, what I said about Nick Bosa after his first year. I didn't say that after Chase Young last year. I was majorly impressed. I thought he more than lived up to and exceeded rookie year ex- expectations. I remember Boz writing that column about how he's let everybody down because of his sack totals at that point in the season. I'm like, dude, are you watching these games? He's impacting every single game. I want him to continue to do that, and now I want him to get the numbers, and I want him to be in the conversation, the serious conversation, to be a defensive MVP. If, if he's not, I'll be disappointed. Now, you okay, know, let me just put... Okay, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Well, you know, uh, Montez Sweat had said he's hoping that him and Chase Young break the uh, right. sack record for teammates. And I, I, I'm sure he's probably talking about defensive ends because the sack record for teammates is the 1981 New York Jets, Mark Gastonow and Joe Klecko. They each had 20 in 1981. On in the Actually, in the, had in the same in year. The same year. Uh, are you sure? Klecko had twenty and a half. Yes, Gatsuno had twenty. Klecko with twenty and a half. You know, Joe Klecko should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a defensive tackle who had twenty and a half sacks. That's stunning. Um, so that's the record for teammates. But, but the most disappointing thing, if I was a Washington football fan, would be an incompetent coaching staff. A coaching staff that that looks lost sometimes on timeouts, uh, on clock management, mm-hmm. on play calling, which they have sometimes. I don't want to say they're incompetent, but they've looked lost from time to time. And there have been lots of questions uh, about Rivera's uh, in-game management. That would be, if I'm a Washington football fan, that would be the biggest disappointment, is to have a sense that the coaching staff is wasting this talent. 
That's that's an interesting one. I I'm not I I think that they're not going to ever be this staff great at clock management stuff, which will drive me nuts. I predicted that because he wasn't very good at it in Carolina. He wasn't. Um, maybe he's got somebody on his staff that will be good at it. In fact, there was somebody else that was really involved in that last year, and I'm forgetting who the coach on the staff um, that was involved in that was. Um, I, Standig wrote that the combined 39 sacks in 1989 between Dolman and Keith Millard was the record. Is the official well, record? It's not. Oh, when did Klecko? When when did they they pull that off? 81. Yeah, okay, uh, th- then that's the reason. The uh, It wasn't an official stat until 1982. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, um, what they did was somebody has gone back and Yeah, researched. they've done that with a lot of them, yeah. Yes, and uh, both Gassineau and Klecko's numbers went up as a result. Forty and a half sacks between the two of them. There was, um, there was I read this story... Um, recently about how they've gone back, you know, with all the video and, and the film that they have from the era that, that preceded 82 on sacks. And, you know, you do get to a point where, you know, you're not going to be able to get all the guys from the 50s and earlier. But Deacon right. Jones, did did I did we talk about this already, about the new numbers for Deacon Jones? No, we didn't. <clears throat> so um, pro football reference. Okay, I've got to find the story here because I, I don't want to get this wrong, but let me just see if I can at least get the, the premise of it. Pro football reference d- went back and did this research. Essentially, they tried to research all of these years prior to 1982 and give official stat uh, sack totals for a lot of these great players to come up with like a new unofficial um, you know, leaderboard for career sacks. And I think it was Deacon Jones. Hold on, I'm going to find this here. Give me a second. Okay. Deacon Jones, I think, has three of the top four sack seasons of all time. And after um, revising the career leaders, Bruce Smith is still the all-time sack leader, followed by Reggie White, but Deacon Jones is now third. Um, officially credited with 100, they were able they were able to get basic. There, there's film on every single one of Deacon Jones's games, so right. he was around long, you know, uh, close enough to the point where film they have film of every single NFL game that they could go back and do that. But I think he also has three of the top four individual seasons for sacks, but he's third on the all time list behind Reggie White and Bruce Smith. So there you go. Uh, some, okay. There were several players so whose numbers. Dis- Jack that Young- would be my disappointment. Yeah. That would be my disappointment. The uh, the coaching staff performance in games. Okay, Deacon Jones, Jack Youngblood, Alan Page, Tommy, all of their numbers really, you know, all of the review of their career sacks moved them way up. You know, Page. Alan Page was a defensive tackle. Who weighed 220 pounds. That's amazing. He was unbelievable you, I, I, as a player. And then became a Minnesota Supreme Court justice. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh, two more things, and then we'll finish up the show. So the NFL is doing their – the NFL Network is doing their countdown of the top 100 players, and they've done the first 60 so far. Um, 98 is Brandon Sheriff. 61 is Chase Young. 
Absent from this list um, is Terry McLaurin so far, and I think actually he's not going to be on the list. What's interesting about this is we had a conversation recently, and, and it was about you know where Terry McLaurin is on the list of really good wide receivers. And I said, look, uh, there are 11 at least that I would take in front of him. I think he's somewhere between 12 and 15, you know, 12 – you know, he's, he's sort of in the middle of the pack of the number one guys, but he's really good, and he might move up the, that list, and I might feel differently a year from now. Uh, look, he could go down the list because guys like um, Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith could really be, you know, these rookie receivers coming into the league could be really good. But anyway, yeah. um, I, it's not remarkable at all that Brandon Sheriff's on the list and that Chase Young is on the list. Chase Young coming in at 61, first time on the list. Um, what is remarkable are the receivers that are already on the list and Terry McLaurin isn't on the list because it suggests that this list, which by the way, is voted on by the players, you know, so there's some popularity things, you know, it's like the pro bowl. There's a little bit of popularity contest and, you know, like, I think you've said this before. I think you have that, you know, players aren't necessarily the best judges. They don't watch every game. They don't get to play against these guys. Some of these guys aren't even playing against players that Let are on this list. Something. Here's the secret that, that players vote. A lot of them will vote for their agent's clients. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do that. Right. As, as <laughs> instructed by the agent. So on this first 60 players, there are 13 wide receivers on the list. 13, and we have not we've not gotten to Terry McLaurin. Why? Because McLaurin's not going to be on the list. And I'll give you the reason why I feel that way here in a moment. But it suggests that there are going to be probably 20 receivers on this list, and he's not going to be on it. Here are the receivers on this list. At 96, Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's not better than Terry McLaurin. At 94, Jarvis Landry. At 91, Corey Davis, who I think was a massive disappointment after being picked fifth overall out of Western Michigan by Tennessee. He finally had a good year last year and was signed as a free agent. I was actually very interested in him for Washington as a free agent because I thought he sort of busted out last year. But Corey Davis, better than Terry McLaurin? I don't think so. I don't. Allen Robinson comes in at 87. I would take Robinson before I would take Terry McLaurin. Chris Godwin comes in at 81. He's, he dropped about 12 passes during the postseason last year. But he is very good. Adam Thielen's at 80. Tyler Lockett's at 76. I like Tyler Lockett a lot. I really do. That year was the year they picked Jamison Crowder. And I remember before that draft, I said, Stefan Diggs or Tyler Lockett, either one of those receivers would be a great pick for them in like rounds three through through five or whatever. And they took Crowder. You know, Crowder was the least of the three, clearly. Um, Michael Thomas comes in at 72. And then you get Calvin Ridley at 65, Keenan Allen at 55. Oh, by the way, A.J. Brown at 62. Right there for me, that's the tell that there's no chance McLaurin is on this list because A.J. Brown's much better. He's not much better, but he's better than Terry McLaurin. A.J. Brown's a beast. Justin Jefferson, after one year, is 53 on the list. Mike Evans is at 48 on the list. So guys that you would clearly take before McLaurin, you know, like Evans, I think like A.J. Brown, Maybe Justin Jefferson, you know, maybe, um, uh, well, definitely Keenan Allen, I think. I don't know. That's pretty close. 
He's not going to be on this list. There are already 13 receivers on it. You know, in the final 40, are there going to be another seven? Probably at least, maybe eight or nine. So um, in this NFL Top 100 list, he's not he's not going to be on a list that probably has 20 to 22 receivers on it. So anyway, just thought it was interesting. I think he should be on this list in front of the people that are on the back end of this list, like, like Cole Beasley and uh, Corey Davis. Terry McLaurin would be ahead of both of those guys on my list. I think he'd be ahead of Chris Godwin on my list who came in at 81. I have no opinion <clears throat> as to whether he should be in the top 100. Okay. Um, you He's want to a talk? very good receiver. He's a really good receiver right now. Um, Rich Mallott passed away, and Joe Walton passed away. Rich Mallott, a two-time Super Bowl champion, picked by Bobby Bethard in the 1979 draft, seventh round overall, a starting linebacker on their Super Bowl 17 and Super Bowl 18 um, loss team to the Raiders. Um, he was a really good player. You know, it was like you had the Grant, and Butts, and Manley, and Mann, and Okowitz, and Malott, and Kaufman, and Vernon Dean, and Curtis Jordan, and Daryl Green. You know, and it, it, they're just, they were all sort of mainstays there. And Malott was part of that first, you know, Gibbs run. You know, I, I've got a column running tomorrow of an interview I did with Rich Malott uh, years ago for my book, Hail Victory. Uh, and I suggest that if, if Jamin Davis is lucky, their number one pick, he'll have a career as good as Rich Mallott. I mean, Rich Mallott played 121 NFL games, started 91. Yeah, he started 91 games. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. If Rich Mallott, if, if, if Jamin Davis can have a career where he looks back and says, I played in 121 games and I got two Super Bowl rings, then he'll be lucky. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I would suggest to you that um, – if Jamin Davis has a career where he starts just 91 games and never makes a Pro Bowl as a first-round pick, it would not be um, a lucky-to-have career. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would think it would be 121 NFL games, given how many people, how, how players last in the league yeah, but, and have two Super Bowl rings to show for it. Yeah, I would say he'd be lucky to have that. Um. When you get picked in the first round, Tommy, you, you you get picked in the first round, you better make a Pro Bowl or two, or it was not a successful career. When I you're... disagree. I disagree. If you're around after nine seasons mm-hmm. with the well, different time. If you're around nine after nine seasons, you've accomplished something. I think it would be better to compare. Um, like a uh, who? Who did they? Cameron Cheeseman was picked in the sixth round. Malat was picked in the seventh. Oh, that's ridiculous! If, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not the point. That's absurd. <laughs> if, if okay, um, who's the the Penn State guy? Shaka Tony, who was picked in the seventh round. If Shaka Tony makes absurd. this team and has a, a career in which he starts ninety-one games on two Super You're Bowl champions, that point. would no. I'm clearly talking over your head. <clears throat> you must be. Because if Jamin Davis starts 91 games and never makes a Pro Bowl, never even sniffs a Pro Bowl, then I don't think that he lived up to his, to his, his first-round expectations. What I said was he'll be lucky to have that kind of career. Okay. He, he, but lucky to have it? Why, why would he be lucky to have it? 
to last in this league to play 121 games and, like I said, have two Super Bowl rings mm-hmm. in the process. I mean, that's part of it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of team accomplishments, but... Don't say, well, uh, yeah. I, I just... I, well, no, I mean, first of all, I, of course, in this franchise, for anybody including anybody that works in the building to be able to participate on two Super Bowl championship teams. <laughs> lucky, more than lucky. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I just I think the expectations are much higher for a player like Jamin Davis when you're selected 19th overall. That's all. There may be. I hope he has a better and career than Rich Malai had. God rest his soul. Rest when in peace. Of course they are. He was a seventh-round pick. Right. But in the end, when he looks back on his career – and he can say, I started this many games in the league, and I've got two championships to show for it. Yeah. He'd be lucky. Well, no no doubt Rich Mallott was lucky to have that career, being picked in the seventh round. Now, back then it was a 12-round draft, and he did play linebacker at Penn State. And that was back in the yeah. era where pretty much any Penn State linebacker came into the NFL and kicked ass. Um, but but he a, told me he came in as a strong safety. Oh, really? He was drafted as a strong safety? Well, even th- that's what he said, and he said, you know, it wasn't until Larry Pecatello, uh, who well, came in with Gibbs, who really showed him how to play linebacker. God, God Coach Pecatello. Even though Peck. he went to linebacker U and yeah. played linebacker only in his senior year at Penn State. Right. Yeah. Do you know, um, and Dan Daly put this out on Rich Mallott, that Rich Mallott holds the single game, uh, single game postseason sack record for the franchise. He had three and a half sacks against the Bears in the, in the 1984 playoff game at RFK that Washington lost 23-19. That was the you know pre-1985 Bears. The Bears went on and lost the NFC title game the following week to the 49ers, 23-0. And the 49ers, if you recall, were super disappointed. They wanted revenge on Washington for the year before because of the controversial NFC title game that Washington beat San Francisco in. And they were both the division you know, um, favorites. In, in a, they were both the favorites in their divisional games they were supposed to meet and that game would have been at candlestick and uh you know it would have been january of 1985 the 1984 season but they got the bears instead they shut the bears out 23 nothing in that game but the defense they sacked they sacked uh theisman seven times in that game uh there's another story real quickly about that game i'm pretty sure i'm right about this that was the game where gibbs was practicing shotgun leading into it and somebody asked him about it and did a story on it, and he blew up that that, that somebody in the media um, divulged that they were working on the shotgun in preparation of the Chicago game. And so he pretty much, you know, Theismann got sacked seven times in that game. You could see the Bears' defense, how good it was. But Malott had three and a half sacks in that game. If Steve Fuller, it's the record. Uh, I think... um, God, where's Dan Daly's tweet? Uh, I'll find it here in a second. But uh, three other players have three sacks in a... um, in a uh, playoff game for Washington, and they, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what Dan Daly tweeted because he blocked me on Twitter. Oh, well, that's stupid. I, I, I hate when you block people. It's just completely incredible. But I have no idea why he would have blocked me. I don't either. I mean, I never said anything about him. Never criticized him. Never did anything like that. I have. I suspect I have my reasons. But, yeah. what, are, uh, what are your reasons? 
Well, I think he was, I think he thought that I was too hard on Robert Griffin III. <laughs> he thought I was over the okay. top. And so he blocked, you, he blocked you because of that? Oh, well, you know, sorry. I dude. think so. Um, I actually like following him because he's really like an NFL historian. So do I. And a, and a Washington like football team. Too. So since you were blocked and I'm not blocked, um, Charles Mann, Wilbur Marshall, and Fred Stokes each had three sacks in a playoff game. But Rich Malott's three and a half versus the Bears in the 84 playoffs is still the franchise's postseason record. So there you go on that. And the other, so, part, the other Washington figure who passed away was Joe Walton. Yes. Joe Walton not only coached this team, he played for this team in the early 60s. I know he did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I read that this morning. I didn't know that before. Yeah, so, and uh, go ahead. He, I think Seisman loved him as the offensive coordinator. Riggins, Riggo loved him. Riggo after really? the whole George Allen, you know, the offense, which was, you know, so primitive because they were, he was so focused on defense and special teams. It was a, 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 a breath of fresh air when Joe Walton got there. Yeah, he, he liked Walton. Um, I remember Riggo telling me that before. Theismann tweeted out, Coach Joe Walton passed today. He was my coach and my friend. He taught me how to play quarterback at the pro level. He touched so many lives, whether it was in pro ball or at the college level. We all have a part of Joe with us. Rest in peace, Pops. Joe Walton, of course, was the Jets head coach for for several many years too, like six or seven years. Yeah. I think he had a run um, with uh, the Jets as the head coach. Um, a really b- big time offensive, you know, head coach and offensive mind in uh, yeah. in pro football. But then, who finished his career as the head coach at Robert Morris College? Right outside of Pittsburgh. Right. Oh, you know what? Um, Robert, oh God, that that is amazing, isn't it? He was he went from yeah. he, the head coach of the Jets to he was the, the offensive coordinator for the Steelers, and then he was the head coach of Robert Morris College for how many years, Tommy? A long time. I don't have a years. Hold on, I'm pulling up the thing here. Nineteen seasons at Robert Morris. Good for him. So. He coached, and I'm looking at um, his head coaching record. He was 53-57-1 as the Jets head coach from 83 through 89. Um, He followed Walt Michaels. Of course he did. By the way, followed Walt Michaels after Michaels lost the AFC championship game to the Dolphins. Yes. Yes, he did. So did Walt Michaels just retire? I don't remember that. I don't remember. I doubt if he retired. Um, so I'm sure he got fired. Walton was one and two in playoff games, and one of the playoff games was an NFL classic playoff game. It was they lost to Cleveland in the '86 playoffs. That would have been prior to. Um, that would have been the next week would have been the drive game. Okay, that Elway beat the Browns in the uh, AFC title game. The week before that was Cleveland and the Jets in Cleveland, a game that went to overtime, and Mark Mosley ended up kicking the game-winning field goal for the Browns. After, Tommy, and I'm going to look this up, after, I think, missing like four kicks in the game. I think Mosley missed like four kicks in that 86 playoff game against the uh, the Jets. 
but then finally kicked the game winner in overtime to win it 23-20. And here is the box score from the game. Mosley missed three field goals. He was three okay. he was three for six on field goals. Three for six. I mean, back then you missed a lot more field goals. He missed a bunch but made a game-tying field goal. Remember, Mosley was clutch. He made a game-tying yeah. field goal late and then made the game winner in overtime. And the Browns would go on. I think that was the year that they lost to the uh, on the drive, not the fumble game. Yeah, the next week was the drive game. And in that game, Mosley kicked a couple more field goals. People forget Mosley kicked in you know the playoffs and in an AFC title game for the Cleveland Browns, um, and he didn't miss a kick in that game. So he was two for two on field goals in that AFC title game, the one where where John Elway um, put together the drive, uh, ninety nine yards and forced overtime, and then they won it in overtime, twenty three to twenty. Okay, anything else for today? Uh, I can't think of anything else. Okay. That that was enjoyable. Um, I look forward to your Rich Malott column. I will read it, and we will go from there. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Okay. All right. That's All right, it. Boss. That's it for the day. Uh, back tomorrow, by the way, with at least part of the show being about what happened thirty years ago this week in a conversation between Steve Buckhantz and Joe Gibbs. Uh, that'll be on tomorrow's oh, show. Okay. Can yes. I just add something real quick? Yes, you may. Okay. LeVar Arrington mm-hmm. appeared in 85 games in his career. Right. Started 72. Okay. One of the most heralded linebackers to ever come out of college. Right. This is my point. Shit happens. Yeah. Uh, it's a very disappointing career for LeVar Arrington. And in LeVar's okay. case, after the fact, it would have been having a Rich Mallott career would have been a hell of a lot better. But right yes. now for Jamin Davis, if his career ends up mirroring Rich Mallott's, it would be a disappointment. I don't think the two Super Bowl rings would be a disappointment. No, they you wouldn't. Just want to ignore those? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to ignore those. You know, if he were starter in two Super Bowl games, but as a first round pick. If his career includes 91 started games without any sort of pro bowlish kind of, you know, career or any sort of, you know, real accolades, Rich Mallott was a decent player, good player at times. Not a pro bowl player, never thought of as a pro bowl player. I think right now the expectations are when you get picked 19th overall, they got something there that he can develop into a really good linebacker. All pro, pro bowl kind of linebacker. Are we done? You're just not getting it. Okay. I am getting it. And if you tell no, you're me, not. if you tell me that his in seven Leave years in seven years, if he had fourteen injuries and was only able to play eighty games, I'd say, you know what, in hindsight, it would have been you know, he would have considered himself fortunate to have a rich Malat career. I'm saying right now he he doesn't need to be lucky to have Rich Malat's career. Rest in peace, Rich Malat. Oh, I, I think he does. I know you do. I enjoyed the. I can't. I can't wait to come talk, even if it's on Zoom, and give your class some gambling discussion <laughs> and advice. All right, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow.